0: Hello, this is Derek Ray, and you're listening to Bavarian Podcast Works. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. I'm Jake Fenner. I am joined today by Tom Adams. It is the week of Thanksgiving, Tom. So uh, how are you celebrating the holiday this week? Well, other than absolutely stuffing my face
1: with turkey, mashed potatoes, the whole nine yards, probably we'll be having some vice beer on the side, maybe a little bit of red wine. Who knows? It's a holiday. You got to go big or go home. Have some relatives and company coming up from Long Island. Uh, am for- being forced to do a five-mile run on Thanksgiving morning. Not too happy about that, but we'll bang it out and make room for all of the overeating um, and drinking of vice beer. Uh, Bayern Munich playing excellent football, so there's just all kinds of reasons to be happy.
0: Hansi's at the wheel. Um, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Uh, I usually have people coming over to my place. Uh, that's going to continue this year. Longtime family friends, uh, family as well, things of that nature. Uh, Thanksgiving is actually my favorite holiday. Uh, well, one because it just centers around food, and I'm a foodie, so I absolutely love it. But at the same time, I don't know. There's just like there's hardly anything negative that that has a connotation. With Thanksgiving, so I guess I kind of appreciate it. There's not, like, this, like, drag that sometimes Christmas has. But, no, Thanksgiving, it's just, it's perfect. I absolutely love it. So, yeah, one of the things I am absolutely thankful for is you guys, the listeners. And today we have a pretty good episode of the podcast. We will be going over Bayern's most recent Bundesliga win against Fortuna Dusseldorf first following that we will be getting to the Champions League game against Red Star and then we're going to go off about some Bayern Munich things that we are thankful for this year but as I just mentioned we are first going to start off with Bayern's barn burner against Fortuna Dusseldorf there were four goals scored in this 4-0 win Uh, Joshua Kimmich started it off a shot from far outside of the box going from right to left. Pavard let it run, and it went left-side netting to open the scorebook up very early. Then, in the 27th minute, Corentin Tolisso found a cross from Serge Gnabry. uh, Coco rocketed it home, making it 2-0, and then Gnabry got one himself after Thomas Müller was able to pick up a ball after a mad scramble in a box, found an unmarked Serge who went ahead and cooked up a 3-0 halftime lead for Bayern Munich before Philippe Coutinho added an extra goal to the plate. Uh, Robert Lewandowski sent it back across, found a backheel from Muller to get to Coutinho. 4-0 the final score. Unfortunately, this does end Robert Lewandowski's goal-scoring streak in the Bundesliga, but in The most recent game that Byron played, which we will talk about later, he more than made up for it. So, Tom, what are your thoughts on Byron's performance in this game, the teamwork, the passing, all of the above?
1: One of the greatest things about this result for us is I even think it's safe to say that 4-0 perhaps even flattered Dusseldorf a bit. I mean, I think there's no disguising the fact that it was a you know complete dominance from Byron, but it very well... Uh, could have been far more than four goals. And I believe Dusseldorf only registered a single shot on target. And I actually believe that was the first shot on target um, that Bayern have conceded, I guess you could say, conceded a shot on target since Hansi Flick has taken over. So that includes the olympiakos Borussia Dortmund match, obviously Dusseldorf. And I just want to say, a lot of the elements that really came to fruition uh, in that Borussia Dortmund match that we were so dominant in we're also on display in this performance uh, against Düsseldorf you know Manuel Neuer over the weekend after the win uh, he was speaking specifically about some of the tactical changes that Hansi Flick um, has been working on since he's taken charge you know and that a lot of that has to do with those spaces in between the defensive line and the attacking line you know more specifically uh, the defensive line and the midfield line you know, so most often what we've seen, you know, obviously that uh, that altered back line that we've seen of Alfonso Davies at left back, David Alaba, and Javi Martinez at center back, and Benjamin Pavard on the right. And now we have seen slightly contrasting combinations uh, of Kimmich and Tolisso ahead, or Kimmich uh, and Goretzka, with then Muller, um, Ganabri, Koman, and Lewandowski, or perhaps even Coutinho in front. Uh, for this occasion, it was Kimmich and Tolisso as the dual pivot. Uh, with Coutinho, Muller, uh, Gnabry, and Lewandowski just ahead of them. And what Nora was specifically referencing was those spaces in between the defense and in the, in, in the midfield line, so specifically Alaba, Martinez, Pavard, Davies, uh, Kimmich, and Taliso, playing with that higher defensive line, you know, kind of forcing the game to Dusseldorf. So often in the past, you know, we would see these these Byron matches uh, against quote-unquote weaker opponents where we'd be pressing the issue, dominating possession without a lot of penetration, forcing numbers forward, Uh, and it would be kind of disjointed when we would lose possessions. There'd be these wide open massive spaces and half spaces for the opposition to attack when they would spring their counterattacks, and we would just get caught out, you know, playing the retreat, and that's where we would concede a lot of the chances, and that kind of was indicative of the fact that some of the chances we were giving up, the few chances we were giving up against teams were credible chances and a lot of them were goals just because those situations are always on your heels and it's always a lot more difficult to defend that way uh, versus if you're keeping a a tight, compact line and and moving as a unit um, and keeping those spaces very, very tight. You know, Dusseldorf in the opening stages of this game, they kind of wanted to play the same way, but it kind of worked in Bayern's favor because it left Dusseldorf more open and they left far more spaces open for Bayern to attack. Um, and one thing I've noticed too, Bayern, ever whatever it is, you know, if it's just the grit or the determination or the belief that's there under Hansi Flick, we just seem to be winning, uh, you know, seventy to eighty percent of the second balls in every match. Which in beginning phases of the season, you know, might not have been true. Uh, and case in point, you know that the first goal we scored off of the set piece. Yes, I'm not a fan of the uh, the short corner, but it was a result of the short corner. It was played to Kimmich, uh, he whipped it in. Pavard made that that nice run, and you know it looked like he may have got a touch on it, but uh, it, instant replays sh- proved that he didn't, and that was Kimmich's goal. But just to kind of rewind a little bit, that that goal uh, came on the heels of Bayern Munich pressing Dusseldorf up high and forcing them to in a really bad uh, situation, and. You know, I believe we had a cross that went in just before that that they had cleared, but it was just um, set a barometer for how the match was going to go. You know, suffocating Dusseldorf at the back, you know, and keeping that uh, that midfield and defensive line and those spaces in between so compact, so that when Dusseldorf did want to counterattack, there were just hardly any spaces for them to go into. And yes, I do believe that um, we might have been a little bit fortuitous. Uh, For the fact that Dusseldorf, when they did get forward, didn't really make the most of the chances. They had a lot of scoffed opportunities. As I mentioned, there was only that one shot on target that was registered. But you know, take nothing away from just the complete dominance uh, from Bayern and you know showing these tactical improvements and you know keeping them in place and you know uh, you know not collapsing even when there's personnel changes and you know keeping the continuity and the consistency because that is going to be what makes us champions again if, if that continues that way.
0: Looking more statistically at this game, Bayern won possession 71-29. They led in shots uh, 17-13. to As you mentioned, Dusseldorf only got one shot on goal off. Bayern had five. Uh, and then Dusseldorf committed more fouls than Bayern, but they also got a couple more corners than Bayern. And I'll point this out now, uh, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, I'm a little, like, as much as I'm very happy, and this is not me saying that I dislike the form the team has been in at all, I don't want anybody to take it that way. My main concern is, is that Hansi is getting really comfortable using this team specifically, using this lineup specifically, and I'm afraid that over time it may lead to potentially more injuries. It may lead to players getting super tired for bigger games, and as I've mentioned before, this is the gauntlet time of the Hindrunda for Bayern. It's a tough couple of matchups in the league with a Champions League game at home against a Jose Mourinho-led Tottenham, which is something that I never thought I would say out loud uh, on the cards. And I'm, I'm a bit worried that if Hansi keeps this lineup the same way as it has been, um, we might run into those problems. What do you think about that, Tom?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just as you mentioned, and and to look at it on the surface, so we've played uh, Olympiacos, yes, Borussia Dortmund and Der Klassiker, albeit with a uh, a Marco Royce and a Paco Alcacer starting from the bench, and, you know, probably a 65 70% Jadon Sancho that wound up getting subbed off in the first half because of his injury problems, and then Fortuna Dusseldorf, and and then obviously at the time we're recording, Red Star Belgrade uh, earlier today. So we haven't exactly faced uh, the most lethal firepower by any means. Um, so looking at it, I would say Lewandowski and our uh, and our attack, you know, there's nothing really wrong with that right now. And I I think we've shown uh, the ability for Coutinho and Muller to coexist up on the front, whether it's sacrificing Coman or Gnabry in the starting lineup uh, if it means playing Muller and Coutinho together. Uh, but where I would be more concerned when we do come up, as you mentioned, we are uh, coming up to a very difficult, hectic period in the end of our, our Hinrunda. We have uh, Bayer Leverkusen coming up this weekend, Munchen Gladbach not too long after. Uh, so the real test, you know, will be that back line. Uh, what what many would consider to be if you were to look at this at the beginning of the season on a on a on a team sheet for any given match Alfonso Davies Alaba Javier Martinez and Benjamin Pavard you know will that backline be the right answer when we do come up you know against those uh those higher caliber opponents so to speak and uh furthermore when we do move on to the uh knockout stages in the Champions League especially if we get knocked or excuse me especially if we get drawn to face a, not a less favorable team a team that's uh you know, been paying a lot better, and that has a a lethal attack, you know, would you trust this back line again?
0: So one last thing I want to touch on before we head into a break, Dusseldorf are 16th in the league as of right now on 11 points. They have a tough stretch of fixtures as well, their next five being at Hoffenheim, at Dortmund, at uh, home against Leipzig, at Augsburg, and then home against Union Berlin. And then, just overall, the table is so unbelievable. The difference between first place and ninth place is six points. And in order for those that aren't keeping up, after the win, Bayern slid up to third. So it now goes München Gladbach, Leipzig, Munich, and then Freiburg, Schalke, Dortmund, Wolfsburg, Hoffenheim, and then ninth is Leverkusen. There are a couple of ties in there on points. Uh, Schalke and Freiburg are tied on points. Dortmund, Wolfsburg, and Hoffenheim have a three-way tie on points. And then Bayern are tied with Leipzig only behind on goal difference by three goals. So it's, it's a topsy-turvy end to this end uh, Tom. Who do you think... Now that we are going into the final five games, by the end of this half of the season, who do you think is going to be on top?
1: <sighs> well, I hope Bayern Munich, but you know we obviously have that opportunity coming up to leapfrog Mönchengladbach and get three points and have them get zero. Uh, but I think realistically, uh, even though... It's very tight, as you mentioned, at the, at the top of the table. I think that it's really going to be between one of the big three right now, either München, Gladbach, Leipzig, uh, and Bayern. You know, Bayern have a do, do have a very difficult schedule coming up. Uh, Leverkusen just put forth a strong performance in the Champions League, so they are going to be no flop. Uh, you know, Leipzig still have their Champions League fixture to play. And, you know, looking at their fixtures remaining in the hinder, it is kind of favorable. You know, they have Paderborn away, Hoffenheim at home. Uh, Fortuna away, and then the one bogey match for them. Or no, I shouldn't say bogey, big match for them. Dortmund um, away uh, at the VfB um, just before their second or their last match against Augsburg. You know, I do think of the big three teams. They do have, I guess, the easiest schedule in there, just with those two um, Champions League ties against there against Benfica and Lyon, respectively. Um, looking at Munchen Gladbach schedule, other than us. Taking a look, they have Freiburg at home, then, er, yes, Freiburg at home, then us at home, a clash in the East, er, a clash in the uh, Europa League, Wolfsburg, and then Paderborn Hertha to Berlin. So I would say on paper, Leipzig do have the easiest schedule. I wouldn't be surprised to see them at top, but that is the realist in me. But the fan in me is saying, Bayern are bang on form. We're going to take maximum points from the rest of the fixtures that we have in the Hinrunda, Bayern Munich on top.
0: Yeah, I I tend to agree. Like, of course, I want to say that Bayern Munich is going to be on top. And um, I will swallow my words about Kovac. Uh, I'm very impressed by Hansi Flick. I think he's done a really good job with the team. I think the team have really responded to him, which I would say is more than Nico had ever gotten. So I I'll I will defer on that one for the time being. I think he's done a very good job and he's been able to rally the team around him and they've done a great job listening to him and responding to him in kind. Um so great job for him. I hope that Bayern are still on top or go top of the league. I think, regardless, it's going to be a close race to the finish, both in the Hindrunda and the Rookrunda. So, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. We're going to take a very quick break, and when we come back, we'll go to our second After 90 Minutes segment on the Champions League game against Red Star. Welcome back, and now we're going to discuss Bayern Munich's most recent game, their penultimate group stage game against Red Star. From Belgrade. Now there are a couple of statistics I want to throw out first. Byron again won possession 71-29, really weirdly enough. They outshot Red Star 29 to 3. Shots on goal were 16 to 1. Corners were 14 to 1. If you hadn't seen this game and those statistics don't scream an absolutely dominant Bayern performance then i don't know what will maybe a 6-0 scoreline in favor of Bayern Munich but this was just a this was just an absolute battering by the bavarians 14 minutes in, we have Leon Goretzka scoring a goal. Corner kick sent out wide, whipped back in by Coutinho to find the head of Leon Goretzka, who really took a nice header in on that one. And that made it 1-0. Now, there are two VAR decisions that I find a little weird. Um, The first was... a. One against Bayern, and then there was one against Red Star. Both, I think, should not have been called. Both of them were handballs. So first, we're going to talk about uh, the not-goal from Robert Lewandowski. The ball came down. It was a lofted cross of a pass uh, into the box to Quarantan Tolisso. He had his hand by his side. The ball came down and hit his hand right next to his leg, it fell right in front of Lewandowski and there was a goal. And the referee overturned the goal because of a handball. Now, I am usually somebody very adamant on the handball rule of if your hand is anywhere away from a natural position in your body, it should be called a handball. Usually, if you, like have your arm any way away from your body, it should be a handball. Tolisso's hand is in a natural position. It's right down by his side. He can't move that anywhere, right? He was trying to take the pass off his body. So I don't know how the referee could go ahead and take a look at that and then say that it's all Toliso's fault. Same for the Red Star defender, who went in for a challenge on Robert Lewandowski Lewandowski sent the ball back into the middle. The Red Star defender was in the middle of his slide tackle. The ball went underneath, hit his leg, then trickled underneath his body and hit his arm. And then the referee called a penalty for a handball on the Red Star player. In a perfect world, um, that handball by the Red Star player wouldn't have been called... penalty because I don't think that's a penalty he's sliding in his arm is gonna naturally go away from his body because he doesn't want to just you know salmon his way to the ground with both hands by his side he's not gonna do that no he's gonna slide in about as naturally as he possibly can and one of his arms is going to trail behind him and it wasn't a case of his arm was like stuck out behind his back, which was where the slide was coming from. No, the arm was like naturally kind of in front of his, uh, in front of his chest, in front of his torso, and the ball just happened to pass under the player and then hit his hand. To me, that's not a handball. Neither is Taliso. So in my mind, I think the goal from Louis first should have stood, and then there shouldn't have been a penalty on the other one because that's just ridiculous and unfortunate. Uh, Irregardless, it was called. Louis stepped up and took the penalty. It was the first of four goals that he had on the night. The next one came a couple minutes later. Coutinho crossed the ball in. Cortanto Lisso took the header right in front of Louis, and he kind of just, like, stomped at the ball and sent it home. And then four minutes later, Louis made it a hat trick. Pavard sent in a cross, and Robert headed it home, barely staying in the left side netting. It was a beautiful-looking goal. I recommend taking a look at it. And then his fourth goal came just three minutes later. He took a setup pass. From a teammate, he was one-on-one with the goalkeeper, completely unmarked. The Red Star defense was abysmal tonight. They left so many people unmarked for good chances. It was ridiculous. He went right side, and that made it 5 nil. And then Quarantan Tolisso, in the 89th minute, received a pass from Perisic. Slotted it right in for Coco. 6 nil is our final score. Uh Tom, what were your thoughts on this game? Uh I'm going to bring up some fun little statistics about Lewandowski's performance and of course he's the main story overall, but setting him aside, how do you think the rest of the team performed today?
1: Well yeah, I just want to start by saying, you know, going on to that uh that first play, the Lewandowski goal that was ruled off or ruled out, I should say, because of Taliso's handball. Yeah, the, the new handball rule does, it is quite harsh uh, on the attacking players. You know, it's, it's just, it kind of states that if a hand in any way, shape, or form affects, you know, a goal scoring opportunity or a goal score, that it's disallowed, but you hate to see a goal. You know, I think it was a great long diagonal ball from Jerome Boateng up, uh, uh, well, I guess a quasi-brilliant uh, chest down, or or you know midsection down, or layoff from Tolisso, and then a very very fine finish after one touch from Lewandowski. But I do agree with you. I I don't like that rule, and I do agree also with the second one. It's very controversial. But looking at the overall balance of this game, I mean, if you were Wanting to tune in to a Champions League match with the most aesthetically appealing football. This probably wasn't the match that you wanted to watch on the night after, you know, with all of the other games that were available, but we are a Bayern podcast. We are Bayern Munich fans um, and We've made it four for four with Hansi Flick at the wheel. And one of the things that really stood out to me is that we were still able to apply the same tactics and play the same way we've been playing, especially since that Borussia Dortmund match, you know, with those tighter spaces as Thomas Muller uh, and Manuel Neuer had alluded to over the weekend. Uh, referring to the Dusseldorf match, those tighter spaces in between uh, the defensive and the midfield lines and playing with a higher defensive line and knowing when to utilize uh, that high press when our opposition, in this case Red Star, Belgrade, uh, are in possession, which, uh, let's be honest, you know, Red Star did not have very much uh, possession in this match, so we were able to strike a good balance uh, between dominating possession, you know, suffocating them in their own area when they were trying to play out of the back which uh, for them was a very risky game to be playing uh, and, and the point I want to make we were able to still do that with making three changes you know we finally saw Tiago Alcantara start his first match under Hansi Flick uh, Leon Goretzka came in Tolisso was in the middle uh, Coutinho started so Muller uh, Kimmick and Gnabry were all given a rest they had quite a minute quite a few minutes uh, under their belts with the uh, the run of fixtures that Bayern had had, and it was good to see that that didn't affect the ebb and flow and the you know the gale that we've had since uh, Hansi Flick has taken charge, and in particular since that Dortmund match, because I would say the Olympiacos match was probably uh, the match of the four since he's taken over, where he perhaps didn't play uh, the best. You know, it was it was the first match in charge. I think every single match has been a progression from there, uh, and just another th- you know few things. Pavard has another one who's really impressed impressed me. I think he does a really good job when he does bomb forward to do the sensible thing, you know, taking the cross when it's there. I believe it was him who sent in that cross for Lewandowski's, I think it was his third goal, the header you had mentioned from the near post, that tucked into the bottom left corner. For me, he's someone that always just seems to make the right decision in the attacking third, and it's just something I've really kept a close eye on in the past four matches. He knows when to cross it in, play that first-time cross, uh, and not take too many touches on the ball before crossing it. <coughs> cough, cough, Kingsley Coman, cough, cough. <laughs> but um, he's just a guy I've really had my eye on, in addition to Alphonso Davies on the other side. You know I, I think in, in the same respect as Pavard, he's been one of the most impressive players uh, in the squad as of, as of late. Um, And I did forget to mention as well that there was another defensive change in this. You know, Alaba was given some rest. Uh, Jerome Boateng came in, so that was another piece you wanted to look at. You know, will a defense remain as stable, you know, taking one piece out of that puzzle? And I think... While Boateng does not boast nearly as pacey of a presence uh, as David Alaba, I think he was still able to step in there and, and do the job solidly. The one downside I would say is he just does love to send that long diagonal ball sometimes when it's really not necessary. Uh, one of them did almost lead to a goal today, but you know, with the harsh handball rule, Taliso uh, was, I guess, rightfully under the new laws of the, uh, the handball rule in the attacking third. That goal was ruled out taking away Lewandowski's uh, brilliant finish. But, um, yeah, that, that, that was kind of my main takeaway. The personnel changes, we were still able to, you know, apply those same tactics and, and, and get the job done and play the same way that we've been playing. Coutinho was another guy. I thought he was given a lot of freedom today. I, I noticed a lot of interchanging the flanks or inter- interchanging, dropping in behind Lewandowski, coming just as deep as Goretzka, Goretzka excuse me, and uh, Tiago, you know, and really getting in those spaces to, to you know, Be his most creative self, which is where he is the most effective. Um, And then, yeah, just, (laughs) again, the scoreline 6-0. I mean, if you think of the chances that Lewandowski missed, you know, that 1v1 he had in the opening 10 minutes, I don't really know how he put that wide. That was probably the least Lewandowski thing to happen in that situation. Obviously, gets one ruled out. You know, this this one very well could have easily been, you know... uh, seven nil or eight nil nine nil had we converted all of our chances and as you mentioned red star had one chance on target and Nori was hardly tested and when he did get it i thought he did a really good job of not dallying on it he would just get that ball zip it out to one of his defenders or midfields and i love that quick um that quick ignition for you know qu- restarting the play very quickly it always keeps your opponents on your heels and you know red star were just outgassed outplayed and yeah we'll take the three points go back to munich and get ready for saturday
0: We need to talk about Lewandowski's performance. Absolutely. He set four different records for those that aren't aware, or at least updated them. Um, He scored four goals in 14 and a half minutes, which is the quickest in Champions League history. So not only does he have that, he also has the world record for the quickest hat trick as we all remember, against Wolfsburg. He's the second player to score four goals in a Champions League game twice, the other being Lionel Messi. He has 63 Champions League goals overall, making him fifth all-time behind Ronaldo, Messi, Raul, and Karim Benzema, who's only one goal ahead of him. Granted, they are playing at the exact same time. Benzema did score two today against... Harry So if that didn't happen, Lewandowski would now be the fourth leading goal scorer. He is also now past Thomas Müller's 43 goals to become Bayern's all-time leading Champions League goal scorer. I'm a Patriots fan, and I understand that people hate Patriots uh, fans, but I like to consider myself like a normal level-headed Patriots fan. I don't like to rub things in But I also can't understand the people that say that Tom Brady isn't the best quarterback of all time because it's clear that he is. He's not a system quarterback. I don't buy that idea. Similarly, I can't buy the logic that Robert Lewandowski isn't the best number nine in the world right now. I don't think you could say that anybody scores at the current rate that he does. Um, he's just he's just been absolutely phenomenal. The question that a lot of people have been bringing up has been the Ballon d'Or uh, question, the Ballon d'Or race. Logically, the top three uh, this year, it could be argued by some people, are Lionel Messi and Ronaldo, as almost always, with the addition of Virgil van Dijk. Would you replace any of those in that top 3 with Robert Lewandowski and who? I'm going to let you be the one to get all of the fans angry because I have a I have a sinking I have not a sinking. I have a small feeling that I know who you would take out of all of that. So I just I want to I want you to be the one to fall on this sword Tom and I apologize to you in advance for that one.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was kind of like <laughs> getting, uh, setting up for failure, you know. But the one thing I would say about Lewandowski, uh, it's so hard to leave any of those guys out. Um, even, yeah, I mean, it's I think it's clear and obvious that the majority of folks that listen to this podcast and are part of the community, they're also aware that I'm a massive Liverpool supporter in addition uh, to Bayern Munich. Um, but not only for the sake of that but just for the sake that the last time the Ballon d'Or was won by a defender was i believe 2006 by Fabio Cannavaro uh, after he won the world cup with Italy i believe he was with Juventus at the time you know that just kind of is an understatement as to you know a lot of the relative biases that people i didn't even i shouldn't even say that people say that that kind of do exist you know in the the runnings for this award and, you know, how many years has it been either Cristiano Ronaldo or the NL Messi. But as much as I try and think about, you know, even think daring removing one of those two guys from the runnings, it's just, you know, like, well, Ronaldo uh, was one of the key pieces in Portugal winning the UEFA Nations League, you know, maybe he hasn't, been playing as well, or been getting off to the numbers and the glory that he was after when he decided to move to Juventus. Uh, by stark contrast, I think Lewandowski. I mean, looking even far beyond 2019, 2018, like he has been the main talisman for for Bayern for so many seasons, and I think this season is just. We're not even halfway through. We're a third of the way through the season, and he's already hitting record numbers that, you know, what is this? How how long has Gerd Muller's record been standing? And he just absolutely thrashed up, or not thrashed, but broke Pierre Emick Emmerich uh, Aubameyang's record of scoring in uh, the, the first eight uh, Bundesliga matches. On four, and uh, what sucks about it, too, is like in the Dusseldorf match, he had plenty of chances and played really well. It was a shame that he wasn't able to score in that game, and that kind of ended that streak. But, you know, take nothing away from what this man is doing. Um, so, with all of those things in mind, you know, I. It, I'm one of those guys, when it's uh, Messi versus Ronaldo, I'm always uh, in, in Messi's camp. I just think he's a guy who doesn't complain as much. I think he does more for his team uh, and works more with his team than Cristiano Ronaldo does. Yes, Ronaldo is the guy for the big moments, and every team needs that if you want to win silverware and you want to go the distance. Um, but as someone who's all about you know team ethic and the team ethos, you know a Liverpool and Bayern fan, you'll never walk alone, Mia San Mia, you know, I, I think there's a reason why I resonate with these two clubs so much and everything they stand for. I'm always in in Camp Messi. So for me, I would be that guy who would say, CR7, you know, see you later. And what was it also? It was, um, what was it recently? I didn't like it. I thought it was a very low-class move. Was it the FIFA Best Awards where he was nominated and knew he didn't, get something and he didn't even show up and he posted a picture of himself like like hanging out with his son like kind of saying like oh you know i'm not involved in this so i don't have time for it like whatever that was kind of a low class move for me and you know yeah so i guess consider the the feathers ruffled a bit and you know there's going to be people who completely disagree with me but you know of these four guys Lionel messi van dyke ronaldo and Lewandowski I think yes Ronaldo would be the one guy I would move out of the way and I would love to see it be between Messi Van Dyke and Lewandowski and I think that would further pave the way for the future uh, of the Ballon d'Or to you know make it more open and you know you could we could even reference Manuel Neuer in 2013 as a goalkeeper what more could he have done that year to have been considered you know, winning the treble and then going on in 2014 and uh, winning the World Cup with Germany. Like, what else does he have to do? Like, what objectively could a goalkeeper do to be even considered, you know, seriously as as, as a winning candidate for that award? You know, so that's that's my two cents on that.
0: So currently taking a look at the Champions League table, as it currently stands, we have PSG, Bayern, Man City, Juventus, and Barcelona, who have already clinched their top spots in their respective groups. There are currently battles for the top spot between Liverpool and Napoli, as well as Leipzig and Lyon, but there are also a couple of battles for survival between Bayer Leverkusen and Atleti, Dortmund and Inter, as well as Shakhtar and Dinamo Zagreb, and in addition to that, there's a massive battle going on in Group H between Ajax, Valencia, and Chelsea, all three of which have the potential to either get completely knocked out or advance, so as it currently stands, Valencia are in second in that group, and as it currently stands, the teams that Bayern have the potential to face Eliminating Tottenham because they're going to come second in the group. Eliminating Dortmund from that possibility because right now Inter Milan are ahead of them. But that could all change if Dortmund can be able to get a win against Slavia Prague. Inter could lose to Barcelona. Bayern has the potential to face Real Madrid... Shakhtar, Atletico Madrid, Napoli, Lyon, Valencia, and Inter Milan. So, as much as winning the group may have been great, it's not that easy of a road ahead for Bayern, considering the remaining teams that could come in second place in this league. Like, to be perfectly honest, I really hope that Dortmund don't make it. For the reason being, if Dortmund is in, it increases the odds that Bayern could face what I consider an unfavorable draw, which would be Inter, Atletico, or Real and I know that you're thinking, well, if Dortmund is in, that eliminates Inter Milan. And that's true, but I would rather have Inter in there because I think they're they're on the lower end of teams that I would consider unfavorable draws. The two teams I just really don't want to play are Atletico Madrid and Real. Because regardless of how poorly Real have been playing recently... I don't want another situation of shitty refereeing at the Burnabout to cost us the next round of the Champions League. And if we face the facts with Dortmund out, it'll lower the odds that we have to play either of the teams from Madrid. And that's the way that I look at it. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will talk about some things that we're thankful for. Welcome back, everybody, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for listening. As I mentioned off the top of the show, uh, for those that aren't in America, it is uh, American Thanksgiving this week, uh, and it's one of my favorite holidays. And like I mentioned, I am thankful for all of you for helping us grow this podcast as much as we had. So right before we headed out, I thought it would be a good idea to at least... Read off what we were, list off three things that we were thankful for from a Bayern Munich standpoint. So, Tom, why don't you go ahead and tell me what you were thankful for from from Bayern Munich?
1: Well, going off of the theme of Lewandowski having one of the most insane seasons of his career on the heels of scoring four goals in the Champions League, Uh, people are going to love this one some people may be familiar with it some might not but I have to say I'm thankful for Anna Lewandowska and the whole dessert before dinner meal plan because that stuff works and if Robert Lewandowski is any barometer of how that diet plan works then the thing is a godsend so basically what happens is you know Anna Lewandowska a lot of you might know is Karate expert and also uh, a nutrition expert. And what she does is she'll have him eat, you know, those sweets uh, before dinner. It all has to do with the the breakdown of the carbohydrates, both uh, complex and non-complex. And it works for him. She helps him stay in optimal uh, shape. And I know she helps him reduce like blue screen time hours before bed so he can get optimal rest. Um, so, you know, behind every great man is an even better woman. So shout out to you, Anna Lewandowska, your diet plans and everything that you do uh, for Robert Lewandowski. And in turn, Bayern Munich, she definitely deserves one of the biggest shout outs. Uh, One of the other things, um, this is more pertinent to just us, Bavarian, uh, podcast works and Bavarian football works as a whole. Um, I just want to say, I am very thankful for sometimes the creativity and the hilarity that ensues um, amongst our Slack channel, which is basically just the application we use to communicate with one another uh, as contributors and writers, both for the podcast and for the the blog itself. Uh, a couple of months ago, we just really, really got into the fact that a lot of the players' names on our squad you know, have an easy play on words, and I believe it was you, Jake. You actually wound up writing the piece because we had so many good ones, most of which... Uh, came from you where we would basically just hashtag the names, you know, <laughs> just to give you a few. You know, Manuel Noir we had hashtag Neuer going to give you up. <laughs> it's now we're <laughs> Neuer, Sven Ulreich. Every little thing is going to be all right. <laughs> Um One of mine I think was pretty, pretty fly for a my guy, for Lars Lucas, my. <laughs> Benjamin Pavard, hashtag all about the Benjamin. Um, one of Phil Quinn's, uh, David Alab <laughs> David Alaba hashtag Alaba uh uh And then yours <laughs> All about that bass The list goes oh on God, there's I just so many Funny ones Sarpete sing He had some of the best ones Ever hashtag sing for The moment hashtag sing With me hashtag does the Sarpete match the drapes So <laughs> I came up So with many, that so many that of one. those were good And so it just to round out Everything <laughs> Oh Kingsley, Coleman, Coleman, Eileen. I mean, there's so many good ones. Um, I think what I, I should do, actually, after we record this, is I'll, I'll pin that piece somewhere or retweet it so that people can go back and laugh at it because I'm just thankful for some of the hilarious moments that we have. Uh, on our Slack channel, you know, not everyone who is a part of BFW or who reads us as a part of the community will get a chance to see that because it's a, you know, a closed application that we use to communicate. But sometimes it gets really funny in there as, you know, as, as serious as we get for scheduling pieces and, you know, floating sources about and, know doing our business there are some hilarious moments and some of them when I'm checking the app at work just make me burst out laughing and that was one of those days so Jake I gotta thank you for being the spearhead behind that and everyone else at the BFW channel for (laughs) for uh...
0: I don't even know how that started I feel like somebody was like responding about somebody's hashtag (laughs) and it was something like really weird and then I came up with another weird one, and that just got the ball rolling. But regardless, whichever one it was, that that was just a fun day. It was just nothing but us coming up with these random oh. hashtags for hours, and we had to make some yeah. kind of post about it. 100% for context. That, like, it went on for like
1: hours, and then the laughter just kept going, <laughs> and going. I was checking it, turned the <laughs> notifications on Slack, so that I would just like open it and laugh. I just, I just scrolled down. I forgot we did like yeah, maybe like it ones. Ha- do you believe in life after? Yeah, life? love hurts. <laughs> love is a battlefield. <laughs> Crazy in love. I will always love you. Oh, there's so many yeah. great ones.
0: Yeah, that started on like a Wednesday morning. Like I was walking out of class when that <laughs> one started, and uh, then like my Wednesdays are really long, and by the time I had finished with my classes, like later that day at like five o'clock, we were still coming up with, <laughs> with hashtags. Like it just kept going on and on. But that that one was definitely one of the, uh, one of the better uh, better things that we had done. Ooh, 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 ooh! Rocking
1: everywhere <laughs> for Uli, honest, no. that is hilarious. That was like yeah. middle or like freshman year of high school. That that Bubba Sparks song came out. Hootie, booty, 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 rocking everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's classic.
0: It's an absolute classic.
1: Oh man, good times. I'm very thankful and to more moments that will uh, continue that way.
0: What's your third? My th- What's your uh, third thing you're thankful my for? My third.
1: And last, you know, that I think everyone right now is happy for is just Hansi's at the wheel. Just the incredible job that Hansi Flick has done. And, and part of what I want to say with this, too, you know, recently he was speaking after the, the Dusseldorf match. Because if people recall, uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and Ole uh, Hones had said earlier, um, I believe it was in between the Olympiacos and Dortmund matches, that uh, there's a good chance that Bayern might have their new long-term manager by the time the Dusseldorf match rolls around and obviously that hasn't taken place and you know the press were asking ha- Hansi Flick you know about how he feels at the, about the, uh, the future about how he feels about remaining manager until Christmas and he just simply said look I'm here I've made the tactical changes I've spoken with the players I've gotten them to believe in everything and I think that's shown that everyone in the squad believes in what he's trying to instill and you know the, the tactics that he's putting forth and more importantly, he said he's just enjoying the here and now. So I don't know if this is just going to be a honeymoon period. If we're going to have a new manager by the time Christmas rolls around, or by the time the Rukunda starts, or if it's going to be, you know, next summer. But just enjoying this ride while it lasts. You know, it's very, very good. Um, it's a very great feeling to see your side play so rejuvenated and reinvigorated. And you know, as it stands. 16 goals scored, zero conceded, and only one shot on target. I mean, something there is working, and the belief is there. So I just got to say thank you, Hansi Flick, for being the man to step into a difficult position and, and right the ship, at least for now. And let's uh, keep our fingers crossed and hope that with Hansi at the wheel, it just keeps, you know, keeps being steered in the right direction.
0: Yeah, he's just done an absolutely amazing job and he's got to get full credit for everything that he's done. Uh so the three things that I'm thankful for, uh w- the first one is ESPN taking over the Bundesliga next season. Like thank God. Uh I was funny enough I was actually at ESPN today because I'm home and I'm living in Connecticut. Uh and I was talking to uh to one of the producers and he had mentioned how excited he was to be taking on the Bundesliga. And my hope is that uh, ESPN is able to dedicate the resources and the money to really kind of give the Bundesliga the attention and the care that it deserves being a big leak. And he had asked, uh, my, uh, my friend at ESPN who works in the soccer division, who I had been talking to, he kind of just asked me like, what do you think, uh, would make us better than Fox? And I said, you just need to put in the effort, right? And that's not to say that people at Fox did not care about the Bundesliga. That's not to say that whatsoever, but it, kind of seemed clear on screen that either the chemistry was off or just something was off. And the people there didn't really care too much about the Bundesliga, which was sad from my standpoint, right? Going from goal TV where we never saw a Bundesliga game to Fox was a big step. And I just wish it got more attention in that regard. And it, got more funds and was taken better care of than, than it was. So my hope is that ESPN will do that. Um, and I, I think that they will, I think they, I think they know what they have on their hands. I think soccer is very valuable to them and yeah, I really think they'll, I think they'll do well. Um, my second thing that I'm thankful for, if you'll hearken back to our interview with Derek Ray, he mentioned that he did not think that there was a way for Thomas Muller and Philippe Coutinho to be able to be on the pitch at the exact same time. And for a long time, I had said that I think there is a way. Uh, and that way apparently involved getting rid of Nico Kovac. So in that regard, I'm very happy because the second thing I'm thankful for is a system where Tomas Muller and Philippe Coutinho can coexist because we've seen in the games with Hansi Flick in charge that the two of them together on the field has produced nothing but absolute magic for this team in in the way that we thought they would be able to, right? The competition should not have been between Coutinho and Muller. The competition should have been, I don't know, elsewhere, but the that we've seen over the last couple of games is two very good very creative players being able to feed off each other and put in a lot not only just goals but just assists right you saw back at that Dusseldorf game Coutinho scored a goal Muller bagged two assists like they've been playing very well together and I just hope that form continues between the two of them because they've been doing just an excellent job. And then the third thing that I'm thankful for is that Jose Mourinho is at Tottenham Hotspur. (laughs) I did not want him anywhere near this team. I did not want him next to Bayern at all. But now we also get the added benefit of having Mauricio Pochettino in the running potentially for the Bayern Munich job if our top candidates uh, say no. So that's just an added benefit. That's not something that I thought was going to happen. But uh, with Jose Mourinho at Tottenham, we get to watch at a distance and laugh at the absurdity and the hilarity That ensues and we've already gotten some of that with uh, him high-fiving the ball boy that uh, basically just assisted Harry Kane in a goal that he scored in the Champions League earlier today so with Jose in the Premier League and very 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 far away from Bayern Munich that is definitely something that I am thankful for. Uh, and once again I'm thankful to you guys the listeners for giving us uh, the time and the attention and the patience for us to grow this thing and I hope that you guys in America have a great Thanksgiving for everybody else I hope you have a great rest of your week hopefully we can be able to maybe put out an episode of their Ausblick before the weekend though if we don't uh, you, please forgive us. We're probably both out Black Friday shopping. Um, and, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks. You can follow me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner. You can follow Tom on Twitter at adams 71 And you can find the latest and greatest German and Bayern Munich soccer content at BavarianFootballWorks.com. So for all of us here at Bavarian Podcast Works, we would like to thank you for listening. Please be sure to continue to download follow, like, rate, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your quality audio content. And until next time, everybody out there, have a happy Thanksgiving. Auf Zane.